Good morning. It is delightful to be back. It is delightful to continue this, this process. Jesus, you're delightful. And it is delightful, Jesus, that you love us so much. And, and I just ask, Lord, that you would illuminate uh, what it is you desire to illuminate. Because uh, you're the best. You are just the best. You are, you are the best of everything we can hope and desire and want. And no matter what it is that we love in this life, Jesus, if we dig into that thing deep enough, we find you. Because you're the root of everything that's good. You're amazing. So, Lord, just be, be, uh, be with us as you always are. We love you, God. Uh, so, uh, this is part three. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I am constantly reminded as I, as I work on this that the first time I, I started this and I made some sort of comment that we'd get through the first two verses, uh, Debbie Nietzsche was sitting right here. Remember what she did? She had this great chortle, like, <laughs> thinking that we would get through more. So it, every time I think about it, it just makes me laugh when I think about her. So uh, the point of this is to take a look at a passage and look at it inductively, as opposed to deductively. And, and much of what we do with the Bible, especially on a, in a situation like this, is that someone will have a concept... And then someone will support that concept using scripture verses. Nothing wrong with that, but that's a deductive system where we attempt to, to deduce a concept by, by creating a patchwork quilt, if you will. Uh, this is a little different in the sense, again, that this is inductive in the sense that we're just, what we, we leave the scriptures to sit on its own and we try to cull from it what it's saying, leaving it within the context. And so, uh, so, this is our privilege as uh, believers to do this. Of course, we, we read the scriptures, we meditate on the scriptures, and that's tremendously valuable. There's no question about that. We're reading along and we sense that there's something in a particular passage that's, that's special in one way, shape, or form, so we just sit on it for a minute and we ask the Holy Spirit, are you, are you saying something to me about this? And, and that's how we, how we, we, we work this within our relationship with the Lord and the time we hang with the Lord. And that's all great. Uh, there is a third element and that is the whole concept of studying, of, of digging deeper, of admitting and recognizing that, that the scriptures are a gold mine, not something just to be enjoyed looking at it, but it's something that can be dug, uh, that can be dug in. And, and uh, today, uh, sorry, we're going to dig a bit today, uh, maybe even a little deeper than usual than the last couple. Uh, and so, oh, did you come up with a good, a good, you didn't, oh, too bad. I, see, I'm just not smart enough. I was going to ask you to bring your, I was hoping that you brought your scuba gear today because we're going to go deep. And I was trying to think of a way, you know, to use those. Scripture makes, but you know, I, that's as far as I got. So if you can, smart people, if you can figure out how to, you know, make the words as opposed to self-contained underwater diving apparatus, uh, breathing apparatus, sorry, got the B right. So if you can come up with something that'd be great and you can let me know later, I'll use it, which is cool. Every good teacher is eclectic. They just steal, you know, from people. So I never fear about that. So we are going to go a little bit deeper today. So, uh, be prepared 
please, and my apologies to those of you. Uh, again, the tools we need really are a Bible and a desire to do it, and time. We do need time. Uh, studying takes time, and I and I will uh, I will grant you that. It is one of those things that you have to choose. Am I gonna Am I gonna watch that ec- second episode, or am I gonna you know? And and I, I'm sorry, I, I, that may have been a bit a bit in, inappropriate, uh, but it does take time, and so we have to make choices. We have to make choices to study the Bible, uh, and it does take time. So we need have we need time, we need ability, uh, willingness to learn, uh, and sometimes other things. But really, there's an enormous amount of studying we can do just with the Bible time and a desire to learn and a desire to ask Jesus. All right, so let's let's jump into it. Let's take a quick overview. Uh, second slide. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Book of Philippians, written by by Paul to the church of Philippi around 62 A.D. It was a thank you note for a gift that he had been given. It's the 11th book of the New Testament. Uh, Paul visited Philippi in his second missionary journey around 59, 49 to 51 A.D. Uh, the letter was initiated by a response to a gift, uh, Philippi's gift. They had sent Epaphroditus to Rome with this gift. And uh, during the time, Epaphroditus had contracted some th- life-threatening illness. And upon Epaphroditus' return to health, Paul then sends Epaphroditus back with a note. And so, and so this, is, this is pretty much what we've, what we've got. We've got a thank you note. You know, you get a present from somebody, and you write a thank you note. And, of course... You know, there really wasn't much of a concept of U.S. Postal Service at the time, so you gave it to someone, and that person gave it to those people, and, and this happened to men Epaphroditus, is how it works. We do know that Paul was under house arrest at the time. He had not been thrown into prison yet, uh, like where he, where he was when he wrote the, the first and second Timothy. So, but, but we do know that he was in Rome. The most common theme is joy. And... Um, do you, if you have your Bibles, this might be just beneficial to just read kind of from where we came from. So this is what we've done so far. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, of course, ther- servants we found really means bond slaves, and that was all part of that. <clears throat> uh, to the saints in, uh, saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God. In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all of you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership from the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For all of you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. So that was the first uh, first bunch of uh, verses that we that we did up to this point. <clears throat> so last time, uh, we did a bit of deconstructing the concept of a promise, as you recall. I sang to you. you we sang to each other. Remember the, remember the promise? He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Great promise. Figured out that maybe it, it makes, uh, it's, it's a promise for us. Maybe it isn't. That was just kind of whole part of what we went on. And so we did a couple of things like that. 
And so today we're going to pick up in the kind of Paul in mid thought because he just was said he was really super thankful for the Philippians because of all the things they had done in connection to their relationship with him and all of that kind of stuff. And he made this really cool promise. And then he made this statement. And this is pretty much where we ended last time. So we can go to slide three. And he says this, For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And um, we're just going to stop there for a second, because that's kind of a vow. It's kind of a statement. And we mentioned last Last time, uh, there was one other famous person who used that phrase, and then someone else. Did you remind me of another one? What was the other one? Mr. Carlson from WKRP in Cincinnati. Would anyone else have remembered that or realized that? Some of you would have? So, uh, so, you know, the old Scarlett O'Hara thing is God is my witness. It's a statement of a vow. When someone says, as God is my witness, it means something. You know, it's more than just a, uh, hey, I think this is important, or there's something to this. And then Paul makes this amazing statement. He says, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And, and here's an interesting thing. The word, uh, the word that's translated affection uh, is the affection of Christ Jesus is the word that can also be translated guts or spleen. So it's something that really comes from the inside. I love you with the insides of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that kind of is one of those things that, I, is that even possible sort of thing? Is it possible for someone to love someone else as much as Jesus loves that person? But that's what Paul is saying. Does that make sense? Do you, you hear what you hear him? So I, I, we, we, can, we can ask the question, is it possible for Paul to do that? But we can't get that answer from the scriptures. All we can do is just simply accept the statement at face value and believe him. And here's the reason why I'm kind of sitting on this point. If that is true, then that means that the prayer that he is about to pray to the Philippians would be analogous to a prayer that Jesus would pray to the Philippians. Because it would come out of the same heart. If this is a situation where if A equals B, B equals A, that if, if Paul says, I love you like Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you like I love you, and that means that whatever I say to you would be something that Jesus would say to you. Okay, you follow? So, so there's something that's pretty important here. And, and um, I think it's important in this sense. This becomes a universal prayer. Could we agree that, that God does not, uh, does not show partiality? Okay. I know it's hard to believe, but I really do think that Jesus loves me more than you. See, but I also know that you're thinking that just the opposite. No, 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 no. Jesus loves me more than he loves you. Isn't that great? That is so cool. But, but the scriptures and our intellect says, well, Jesus loves us all the same. He shows no partiality. That means then that 
if Paul is speaking with the love of Jesus and Jesus loves the Philippians and Jesus loves me, that means Jesus loves me no more or no less than he loved the Philippians. And then if Paul knew me, that would mean that he would love me no more or no less than he loves the Philippians. You, got, you guys following me? This little bit of attempted logic here? That means then that the prayer that Paul is about to give is something that I may very well take for myself. It has a sense of universality to it. And this is important because then it is of value for me to dig it, to dig it a little bit deeper into it. There's a, there's a test that it passes. So here's the prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Okay, does anybody else tilt when they read things like that? I mean, does anybody look at a scripture passage like that and go, okay, that's pretty. And that's about it? I mean, it's, it's, is it, is it, is it kind of like to you, is it, is it kind of like seeing, there's gold in them there hills. I can see it shining in the distance. And that's about it. That's my response. Whenever I get, a, when I, when I stump, and I oftentimes get them from Paul. I stumble upon a set of verses like this that's, that's like, well, that's pretty, but what the heck does it mean? So, okay. So my love may abound more and more. Abound in knowledge and discernment. Why? Okay, so, big deal. Well, okay, so that I may approve the things that are excellent. Okay, why? Well, that, so in order that I can be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ... Okay, so why? So that I can be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. And everything is to the praise and glory of God. Okay, all right, so I'm a little farther into it. Okay, I can see there's a sequence of events. But I still find myself really kind of lost. Because it all depends upon what? I'm talking about, you're right, but I'm talking about an understanding of this passage. It, it is based upon what? Okay, so have you guys ever read uh, a book that you're reading along and you come across a word you don't know? Right? Okay, what do you... <laughs> and what goes through your mind is what? Uh, I should really look that up. <laughs> but... 99.9% of the time, we don't. Unless we get a sense from the context, I think it's important for me to understand this word. Right? So, the value, my understanding of this passage is based upon my understanding of the meaning of these words. Right? But here's the problem. These are English words. Have English words changed, the, the, uh, the definition of English words changed over the course of the last years? Yes. <laughs> right. 
What's the most obvious example? Gay. Right. When I was uh, back when the Earth's crust was still cooling and I was beginning how to play the violin, there was a a song that I was learning how to play. And the title of it, this is in a really old book, the title of of the song was Gay and Happy. Now, at that point in time, when I was, I don't know, again, back when the Earth's crust was still cooling, uh, you know, that had a totally different definition than it does today. Today, I cannot give my students that song, at least not with that title, because they would find it, they would find it humorous and, and difficult and, you know, the whole nine yards. So there is an element that we say, well, okay, in, the definitions of English words change. And so can I really count on my opinion of what these words mean? And, and I think there's an element that we can say, well, you know, okay. See, this is, this is where part of my problem winds up. So now let me ask you a, a sort of related question. Why do you think the scriptures were written in Hebrew and Greek? Because that was the language they spoke. Exactly right. It's exactly right. That was the language they spoke. And it was, it was uh, specific to those time periods. Any other reason? Now, this is where I really wind up standing on thin ice. Uh, I, I, have to, I have to give you a proviso here. And the proviso is, is that I personally have never done any scholarly work in the languages of Greek and Hebrew. Never done it. Wanted to, and maybe, you know, someday that's something that I'll actually do, is, is actually take some, take some courses on, in Greek and Hebrew. But I've, I've never done that. Any, anything that I've learned about these is all just pick up by, just like, if you don't know what the word accoutrement means, you go look it up. And you maybe even look it up in a couple of different dictionaries. And maybe if you, if you're really curious, you uh, you look up the etymology of of accoutrement, and you find out it comes from different words, and you figure out what those those pieces of words mean, and you, and you get a little bit better idea what the word accoutrement means. So that's that's all that is the ess- the essence of any any uh, study that I've done in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, so I ain't no scholar, and so I'm standing on thin ice when I talk about these things. But I'm not standing on thin ice when I'm talking about my relationship with Jesus and how it is beneficial to me to do a little bit of, of uh, to use a dictionary. So, um, so I think that there's a reason why, why God used Greek and Hebrew. And the reason seems to be because there's an enormous amount of wealth in those languages. And there are other scholars who would agree. There are people who would say that the way Hebrew is designed and the way Greek is designed, an enormous amount of, of depth that is not necessarily in English or some of the other languages that we happen to use currently. So um, there comes a point in time, if I want to do any more work in understanding a passage, that I have to get out my dictionary. But I can't get out an English dictionary because it ain't going to help me. I have to get out a Greek and a Hebrew dictionary. And it ain't as hard as you think. A dude by the name of James Strong, 1890s, decided what he was going to do was create a concordance, an exhaustive concordance. An exhaustive concordance is going to write down every single word that, we, that he found in the King James Bible. And then he was going to cross-reference all of them. So if you wanted to find helplessness... 
in all the different places that it sits, you could do that. But that's not the best thing that James Strong did. What James Strong did after that is he gave every single Greek and Hebrew word a number. And then he put at the end of it, which is only about this big, there it is, that much, he created a, a fairly brief dictionary, a concise dictionary of those words. Now, I know that a lot of Greek and Hebrew scholars aren't terribly fond of this system because it, it's, it is, it's kind of like the... I once had a dictionary. It was a really small dictionary. Uh, and I looked up, just for giggles, I looked up the definition of the word dictionary. You know what the, the, the definition of the word in this little dictionary, the definition of the word dictionary was? It's hilarious. This is one. <laughs> I kept that dictionary just because that, that just cracked me up. What's the definition of dictionary? This is one. Okay. <laughs> Pretty concise, huh? And I think there are a lot of scholars who look at this and go, dude, this does not work. It doesn't really do, do it justice, but it does this. Just like I had that little dictionary in my pocket, and if I really wanted to know, I could just pull it out and really quick and put it back in. And I understood it a little bit better. That's kind of what this is. And scholars have, have admitted there is value to those of us who don't know Greek and Hebrew, to instead being able to look up a number. Oh, it's number 738. I can look up 738, but I can't look up diaphoro. Can't do that. That doesn't make any sense to me. So, this is all you need, really, if you want to go the next level. And you can even do this online. I looked this up this morning in, in Amazon. You can buy this sucker for 22 bucks. Get it in your, get it home in, three, in two days if you have Amazon Prime. So, this is something that now that, that if, as I wanted to look a little deeper, I had to start doing. So that would be an encouragement that I would encourage you to do. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this a little bit. Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. Let's first take a look. Well, let's, let's, so, okay, when I looked at the passage, these are the words that didn't, that I felt needed a little more. Okay, and this I pray, let's stay on that. Yes. And this I pray that your love, because that's one of those English words that has so many different definitions, right? I love my wife. I love apple pie. Okay, those are two different things, right? We use the same word. Okay, you get the idea. Uh, may abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment and approve things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. See, these are words that I don't really... What's, what's Paul trying to say here? So I decided to unpack this a little bit. All right, slide four. So we're going to unpack first the word love. And this, in my opinion, is a good example of why Greek is so great. English has how many words for love? One. Greek has four. Phileo, eros, storge, and agape. Let's go on to the next one. There it is. Thank you. Thanks. That's five. My apologies. Uh, so, 
We can kind of, see, these things make difference. So phileo, when you're fond of someone, when you, you like someone, the Greek would use the word phileo. Physical attractiveness is eros. Storge is, a, is, found, is, is a affection among family members, and agape is unconditional love. And, of course, this is the one that Paul uses. Now, I, at one point in time, was really kind of ticked that the Bible used the word agape, because we've all heard the word agape, Right? I really was found myself kind of ticked about that because it w- it seemed like it was just oh it's unconditional love. Well, it is, but here's the difference. And now I don't feel nearly as I, I'm really glad that Paul used, that the Bible uses this word. I can't decide whether or not I'm fond of you, right? I mean, fondness is something that happens. By the way, why do we love God? Because he first loved us. So would any of you like to have your love increase, would like to love Jesus more? Anybody here like, how do you do that? Accept his love. Jesus, open my eyes to see how much you love me. Because if I understand how much you love me, I will respond in kind. Because... We love because he first loved us. Simple logic. Jesus, I don't understand. I, I want to love you more. Open my eyes to see how much you love me. The more I understand how much you love me, I will respond in kind. Because that's how it works. So that's, that's how we love God. That's how we increase our love for God. But, I mean, I may like you or I may not. Right? Depends upon our relationship and things that we have similar, all that kind of thing. See, so I can't really control my feelings, but one thing I can control is my choice. I can choose to love you. See, that's something I can do. So really, the fact that he uses agape, which is an issue of choice, is a really good thing. We can choose to love each other. It doesn't even require how we feel about each other. It, agape love, as we all know, is unconditional love. Uh, Dallas Willard put it this way, wanting the best for someone. Wanting the best for someone, even at your own expense. Okay, so let's continue. Let's talk, look, look at the word abound. So we now have a concept of what love means, which is different than an English word. Let's take a look at the word abound. Abound is perisueo. Now here's the number. Do you see the number up there? 4052. See, so you can look that up. And here's the cool thing. A lot of other Greek and Hebrew dictionaries, because it's so accessible, are using these numbers. Thayer uses these numbers. Greens uses these numbers. There are a lot of different other uh, Greek and Hebrew dictionaries that use these numbers. And then where it doesn't work, they make suggestions and and adjustments. So you just don't have to know it anymore. You just got to be able to count, which we all can do. So this is an interesting word. It means to superabound in quantity, to be in excess, to be superfluous, superfluous, over, overboard, to cause to superabound, to excel, abundance, abundance, more and more, enough, more, to, more than sparing, enough and to spare, exceed, excel, increase, be left, redound, remain, you get the idea. Thayer, another, another Greek dictionary, exceed a fixed number of measure, more and 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 more. Okay, so that our love is to abound 
is to increase more and more and more and more and more and more and more. So, okay, now I'm beginning to get a sense of what's going on here. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is really cool. This is slide 7, 19, number 1921, epigonosco. It means to know exactly. Now, we've talked a little bit about this. Gnosis, knowledge. Epigonosis, to know, to know above. Epi meaning on top of. To know exactly, to recognize. And these are all the different ways that it's translated. Thayer says it's precise and correct knowledge of God, especially the knowledge of his holy will and of his blessings, which he has bestowed and constantly bestows on men through Christ. A hearing awareness more than just seeing. It it assumes acknowledgement. Obedient submission is the natural outcome of acknowledgement. Honor in doing his will. Now, you've all heard the thing about about Matthew uh, 125, where... uh, Joseph, the, 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 the King James and a lot of others says, and he knew not her until she gave birth to a son, right? You've heard that, you've read that verse? He knew not. He didn't know her, which means he didn't mess around with her, right? And that's the word epigenosis. So there is a depth an experiential depth to this word. It's more than just book knowledge. It's experiential. There's something that's very deep and huge about Paul saying that your love may abound in this kind of knowledge. Okay, let's go on. Discernment. Number 144. Not only by the senses, but also by the intellect. Cognition. So there's something to that. There's more to that. I don't really quite understand that one yet, but that's about as much as I could get in this process of digging. But the question becomes, okay, so why am I supposed to abound in this experiential knowledge and this ability to perceive? Okay, so that I may approve the things that are excellent. Now, this is, this is where it, we can, I think we can go a little deeper. So this is slide, slide 9, 1381. The next one down, dokimatsu means to test. This is the one to prove. One more down. There we go, thank you. Uh, to test and approve, to scrutinize whether something is genuine or not. So that's a little bit different than approve. It's a little bit deeper than approve. Does that make sense? It's a little, there's something more to it. Um, here. Slide 10, 1308, Dia Ferro, number 1308. To carry a burden. Now, this is the one that's, that's, that's translated excellent. Okay? To carry a burden through, to transport, to endure. As I was thinking about this, the phrase, stand the test of time came to mind. Sometimes I have students that ask me, so why is is Beethoven better than Bono? And the only one of the responses, which is legitimate, is that 300 years from now, I can guarantee them that they will be that people will be playing Beethoven. I have no idea if they'll be playing Bono. Right? I don't know. They might be. But that's because Beethoven's music has withstood the test of time. There's something excellent about it, as an example. 
So, and I think that's what this Greek word is saying. Something about that which has carried through has withstood the test of time. So, why these things? Now, this is, this is pretty cool, this next one. So, in order for us to be sincere, we have to make sure we keep coming back to what we're doing. We're translating these words from this, this different passage. In order to be sincere, the word translated sincere is ilikrines, number 1506, which is very cool. comes from two words. The first word is translated helio. Heliocentric means the sun, the sun's rays. And the second part means to judge. What the heck? Okay, so if you've got something you can't quite see very well, what do you do? You shine a light on it. So we come up with the phrase, does that hold up to the light of day? Think about if you really want to see something very well, you take it outside under the sun. The brightest possible light and compare it under that ray of light. That is the brightest possible light and it is the greatest amount of light that you can put on something. And I think that's what this particular word means. Give it the greatest amount of light that you possibly can and judge it by that. Take it out to the light of day and see if it holds up. Wow, that's, how did that come from sincerity? Well, think about it. How well does your life stand up to the ultimate scrutiny? What about if someone took your life, took it apart and took it out to the light of day? Would you, would you, still, would you stand up? Would you hold up? Or would there be things in there that you'd rather not have people? I think that's what the definition of sincerity as far as what Paul is saying. See, because the Philippians would have read that Greek word and wouldn't have thought of sincerity. They would have thought of putting something out into the light of day and seeing if it holds up. That's what they would have thought of. How about blameless? The next one, number 677, slide 12. Uh, a, a proscopos. A meaning no or not or null, and proscopos meaning to strike. So this has two parts. An active one, having nothing for one to strike against, not causing to stumble. A smooth road, that's one, one of the ways it's used. Or the second one, passively, not striking against or stumbling. So there are two parts of blameless. One, not sinning, and the second one, not causing to sin. Wow, that's a little more than I would have thought to the word blameless. So in other words, I can see the not, not sinning, but that means that if by something that I did inadvertently or in, intentionally I caused someone else to sin, that fits under this. A little bit bigger. For how long until the day of Christ Jesus? And what do I do if I get this? I get filled with the, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And this is slide 13. This is kind of cool. The, the definition of the word pluro, 41, uh, 4137, to fill, literally means to cram. 
I think that's cool. I get crammed with the fruit of rights. You know what cramming means, right? Which is a little different. Oh, fill my glass, please. No, cram my glass. You know, it kind of fits with the, you know, the, the measure that you are, uh, are, are judged to be the measure, measure that you're, the measure that you judge is the measure you judge. Filling over, I'm sorry, I'm totally butchering that phrase, that, that verse. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so, yeah, sorry. I shouldn't have gone there until I, unless I had it in my head. But there's something too, more than just, oh, filling it up. Cram that sucker as far as you possibly can. I like that. I like the idea of being crammed with the fruit of righteousness. And where am I going to get this fruit? Jesus. Why is all this necessary? The praise and glory of God. It's all about Jesus. Okay, so, what have I got? This is what I've got. I've got something special here. I have created the capacity for me to write my own verse, write my own translation. I have somehow created an opportunity for now I can ask, well, Holy Spirit, what does this mean to me? And I begin to own it. Have you ever had a verse that just stands out like 10 feet tall off the scripture? Graham Cook calls those inheritance verses. And there are particular, in his opinion, there are particular things that are beneficial to inheritance verses. It's a, it's a verse that you can count on in some very specific ways. And so there is great value. Anytime the Holy Spirit speaks to you about a verse, there's something that you can really gain. And there is value in then you owning that verse more ways than just reading it. Owning it. And this is one way of doing that, in my opinion. You write your own translation. Now, I know this is a little dicey. You can think, whoa, is this her heresy? Well, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's heresy. I think it's part of the learning process. So that's what I did. I wrote my own verse. So this is slide 16. And this is what I came up with. I, wanted to, I found myself wanting to start from the end. I wanted to start from where it all started, which is Jesus, and go from there. So this is what I came up with. Since everything is all about Jesus, because he's the completeness of the glory of the praise of God, and because he wants you to be crammed full of the fruit of righteousness, which only comes from Jesus, I pray that you Philippians, for as long as Jesus requires, will not be seeing or causing anyone else to sin, and living lives that will stand up to any amount of external scrutiny, no matter how invasive it is. You will be able to do this by learning how to scrutinize and examine those things which stand the test of time. But in order to do this, you must choose to love each other more and 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 more with a love that is not only by choice but completely unconditional and wants only the good but is also encased in an honest ability to see what is true and appropriate and experiential understanding and acknowledgement that comes from obedient submission to the will of God. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. See, now I own that. Right? I own that. I own that in a way that is cool. Now let's look at the original. Or we could just do it this way, because this is what Paul said. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Now, for me personally... One of those paragraphs means more than the other. But I can see my translation in that. Right? Right? 
which is okay. Now, if the uh, ushers would be kind enough to hand out that thing. Um, here's what I did, and this is how we're going to end today. If, if there's anything that I want to encourage you to do, is see that it is your privilege, your right as a son and daughter of the king to dig and get gold from the scriptures. It's your privilege. It's your right. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. You can fill in all sorts of words. And the scriptures then can be something that you own. And so what, I, what I'm tossing at you here, can I have one? Thanks. <laughs> what I'm tossing at you here is a two-sided handout thing. On one side is all of the Greek words that, we, that, that I just tossed at you. And this is just the stuff that I came up with. And that's not all that's there. Uh, it's, some of it may be even inaccurate, just because I ain't no Greek scholar. I'm just, I'm just a dude who wants to know. That's it, really. I just, I just want to know, and I'm willing to spend time doing it. That's the only difference. And then on the other side are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different versions of other dudes and dudettes who wanted to know. Now, the thing about these guys is they're scholars, and they know way more than I do. But some of them are translations that, came, that were, that were uh, collaborations. Some of them were just one person, like, uh, like the bottom two. The Barclay version was by William Barclay, who was a, uh, a Bible scholar of the turn of the century. Uh, James Moffat, another one, the turn of the century. These, these are, the Moffat is a beautiful translation. It really it flows and it's very very fun to read. Uh, Wiest, the one I'm working from the bottom. Kenneth Wiest is another Bible scholar, and you can see that his is the longest, and is more like probably look kind of. You'll notice that mine's not on here, and that's very intentional. It's only mine, and I don't want anyone. Yeah, you get the idea. Um, the next one up is the Amplified, and the Amplified is known for taking this, and that's why it's called the... Right, right. Uh, the next one up is, is one of my favorite reading translations, and then there's uh, another one above that, the New, uh, New International, which is sometimes questionable. The next one is just Eugene Peterson's opinion. Now, Eugene Peterson... Mighty man of God, no question about that. But this is just one guy, kind of like what I did, except he has way more knowledge and understanding. And so he, you know, but, but you know, uh, Bible and basic language are similar, literal translation that's uh, based on Jay Green's interlinear. So again, it's sort of similar. And the top one is, is a uh, English standard, which is kind of one of the... Um, Straightforward ones. It's like New American Standard. Uh, that that just it's it's a good, hearty, wholesome translation that you can count on. That it's not gonna not gonna send you wrong. So these guys did pretty much 
what I did with a whole lot more knowledge and information. But really, they kind of did the same process. And my point here is not only to open this up and induce from it what it's trying to say, but encourage you to do the same. Because you can do this. You, you can do this. So, in conclusion, you can leave it right there, because it's the same thing. This is a prayer that we can take. And this now we're just kind of getting back to, um, to the, the point of, of, the, of, the, of the study, is that this set of verses, I believe, is a prayer that we can take for ourselves. And this is something that we can say, Jesus, do this in me. Jesus, do this in us. This is a prayer that Jesus would pray over us. And so it is acceptable to look at this and go, I want these things. These are appropriate things. I want these things. So uh, let's stand. And in an attitude of prayer and appreciation, let's just read this. Jesus, in this we pray that our love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the praise and glory of God. So, Lord, we do ask you to do this, and we're so thankful that Paul was so filled with love for the Philippians that he was motivated to pray this prayer for them and that we can take this upon ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us to, when we see verses like this that just cause us to tilt, that, that you would motivate us to ask the question, what's in it for me? What can I benefit from? What can I learn? What are you telling me, Jesus? That we can come to know you more. It's all about you, Jesus. There is nothing in our universe that's not about you. And we desire you more than anything else. Thank you, Lord. Pray a blessing upon the Philippians. They're still alive. And pray a blessing upon Paul. That if it wasn't for these guys, we would not be able to cull this great richness. We love you, Jesus. You're amazing. Amen.